me just pray and we're going to get straight into it. I'm so glad that the uh, young adults are staying in as well. Holy Spirit, I just want to say thank you to you for the, the extraordinary privilege of having opportunities to carry and share the light of Christ, to carry with us the good news, to be good news, and to share good news. And Holy Spirit, you have something in mind for us this morning. Some of that has already come to pass. But I just pray now, Lord God, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would come and challenge us and comfort us and meet with us. Uh, And may we leave this place this morning knowing, and this is something I pray, as you know, Father, every Sunday at Vineyard, that we don't just do another church service. May we know that we've been in the presence of the living God and your kingdom has come. And everyone said, Amen. Well, I had planned to do something a little unusual. I've done this many times now, and I feel a little nervous because you never quite know how it's going to be taken. But this talk is going to begin with a sign and a wonder. And that sign and a wonder is, I'm going to get my wallet out. (laughs) So, let me ask a question. Who needs a tenner? Do you need a tenner? Who else needs a tenner? There's a little family over here. Now, you know, in the past, I've been foolish enough not to empty my wallet before I came out. And it's cost me a a small fortune, but this morning, I have to confess, I deliberately just put 20 quid in there because I thought, that's about what I can say. (coughs) Holy Spirit, just come there. God bless you. Who needs more than a tenner? That lady on the back row, in that lovely top, would you mind coming down the front here, please? Now, we're not related, right? (laughs) What's your name? Patricia. Patricia. How wonderful to see you, Patricia. Just come stand down here. Do you mind facing the congregation? I haven't any money left, but Patricia needs more than a tenner. Does anybody, or maybe all of us, maybe if we work together we can help Patricia. If you've got a tenner or a fiver or something that you could give to Patricia this morning, why don't you just come forward and give it to her? Stand by to be blessed. Put your hand up. I love it when the church does this. Doesn't this feel good? We talk, we call this breaking the spirit of poverty because you know it can rest on a church. Let's just pray. Let's just lift a hand to bless Patricia. Father God, we want to say thank you for Patricia and we thank you for her for being here. You, I don't know whether this is the first time or whether she's a stalwart of the church, but whatever brought her here today, you had it in mind to bless Patricia. And Lord, we want to be a blessing. Love isn't love until it's given away. The gospel isn't the gospel until it's given away. And Lord, break something in us. Break this hold, this money thing in our lives. Break the hold it has over us. And may we gain a reputation for outrageous generosity. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Bless you, Patricia. Give her a little clap. Thank you. Now, when, I've, when we've done that at home, um, I always pray beforehand that the individual that gets picked out 
uh, is actually genuinely in need. Uh, I, I, we've had some wonderful testimonies. I can't think of a time where we haven't had a, an amazing testimony. Uh, let me just tell you one before I move on. Uh, the very, very, very first time we ever did this, um, as we were praying, as I was praying, uh, I was just going, I was feeling so nervous, I don't know why. I, I just felt such butterflies in my stomach. But as we came to that point where I said, who needs more than a tenor? The Lord just drew my attention to a woman sat to the right, not far behind where Fliss and I normally sit. And she was, let me be honest, she was a very beautiful woman. Very, very attractive. And she was very well dressed. And when I said, um, who needs more than the tenor? I saw her friend, out of the corner of my eye, nudge her. And after a moment's hesitation, she kind of half put her hand up. <clears throat> now, there were others who were kind of waving furiously at the back and all the rest of it. But I just felt the Lord say, go to this woman here. And I, everything inside of me was saying, no, that can't be the one. You know, because she looks great and she's beautifully dressed and all the rest of it. But I just felt the Lord say, Chris... Do it. And so I said, what's your name? I'd never met her before. And we brought her up, and, and she was looking terrified, absolutely terrified. And she stood in the front, and what we've just done for Patricia is what we did for this lady. And afterwards, her friend came up to me and said, you, this was the first time she's ever been to church you do not know what you have just done. I'm, going to, I'm encouraging her to email you. Well, a few days later, the email came in. She lives in Harpenden. She's a single mum. Uh, she used to work up at Canary Wharf and certainly had, in her lifetime, with her husband, known what it was to be wealthy. But their son, their only son developed a, uh, a disorder which meant that the husband decided he wasn't going to be a dad anymore and just took off, leaving her coping with this highly active, absolutely crazy young chap of about seven or eight. So she was abandoned with him. She tried to get childcare, but child carer after child carer bailed after a while. And in the end, she had to resign and take care of her son full-time. And even though she lived in a lovely part of Harpenden with, you know, manicured lawns and lovely cars in the drive, she was drowning slowly as resources melted away. And in this email she sent me, she said, you, Chris... Um, I hardly know what to say, but that morning, I had been desperate all weekend. My friend said, um, uh, come to church. Let me, let me bring you to church. I'll come and collect you, and I'd agreed. But that morning, I had fed my son a bowl of ready breck, and that was it. I had nothing left. And as he was eating that, I sat on the stairs, bottom of the stairs, and I burst into tears, and I prayed the first prayer I've ever prayed, and it was this, God, I've really mucked it up this time. Can you believe this story? And then she pulled herself together, eyes and teeth, eyes and teeth. And a friend knocked on the door and brought her to church. And, out of, and then she got picked out and she got brought forward. And the church expressed love and her life has never been the same again. She volunteers in the office. She still has issues with the child and childcare. But there is nothing as wonderful as the local church when the local church 
is working well. The problem I always have, I usually get an email or two after those events, and it may have already crossed your name, uh, your mind. And the problem that tends to crop up is this. People are actually, they either love it or they hate it, that little thing. It really bothers them, and they're not sure why it bothers them, but usually if they can grasp what it is that's bothering them, they'll send me an email along the lines of, how, how did you know that person was deserving? You know, they could be ripping the church off, and you're a pastor, and you're supposed to be sort of looking after them. You know, how did you know? Did you, did you interview them beforehand? I mean, God bless you, Chris, but, you know, there's plenty of people out there that want to rip the church off, and how did you know that they were deserving? And you know what my answer is always? My answer is, do you know what? I, of course we try and take care, but in that matter, I leave it to the Holy Spirit. And then I ask them a question. And I say this to them. I say, honestly, can I ask you a question? Are you deserving of the gospel of Christ? No, seriously. Do you deserve God's forgiveness, His salvation, His adoption? Do you deserve eternal life? Do you deserve his friendship? And of course, the answer is no. None of us are deserving of the gospel of Christ. So you know what? If Patricia, and I've never met her before as far as I know, if she is actually an international stock agent with zillions of pounds and a... <laughs> an island in the Caribbean and a yacht down in Brighton, well, God bless you, you know, <laughs> buy a bottle of champagne, you know. I couldn't care less. Because the principle here of this is that God is generous to us. The angels don't tug Father's sleeve and say, well, Chris Lane, is he deserving? Does he deserve love? Does he deserve forgiveness? Does he deserve your generosity? The answer is no. Utterly undeserved. And that's at the very heart of the gospel. Undeserved. And so, God bless you, Patricia. Buy a bottle of champagne and enjoy it on your yacht, you know. <laughs> right, let's get into the Word of God. Please turn with me then to... Luke chapter 19, uh, forgive me if I re read a little slowly and deliberately, but foolishly I left my reader glasses. I think I'm okay, but we'll have to sort of just uh, go easily, otherwise I'll be in a state. What? Oh, Colin, let's try these things. They're useless. <laughs> we'll see how we get on. My wife says to me, she says to me, you have to wear glasses, Chris. And it isn't vanity, I just forgot. Luke chapter 19 then. And we're going to look at a story in the Scriptures uh, involving a character called Zacchaeus. And I, I hope you enjoy it. But, but more than that, I, I, I hope that you will, as we look at this Ask yourself a question, and, and the question I want to pose to you is, is today the day of your salvation? Is today the day when you will accept the offer of unconditional love unconditional forgiveness. And after I've finished talking in 30 minutes or so, how long have I got, by the way? Is that, is that okay, like 30 minutes or so? Then we'll, I tell you what, we'll get Clive come up and the team, and then I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to say to you, if you would like to 
accept that offer of unconditional forgiveness, not based on works and whether you deserve it or not, I'm going to ask you to come down the front. We've had Patricia come down the front. Clive's been down the front, you know. Might as well have you come down the front as well. And we'll pray with you. So I don't want to spook you or surprise you at the end. I'm going to do that at the end, and I don't care if nobody comes or I don't care if you all come. Let's read the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowds. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to the house to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look here. Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of everything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Wonderful story, this. Let's just work through this and... Um, unpack it a little bit and try and savor it and roll it around our thoughts and our minds. You may be very familiar with this story. You may have never heard this story before. And it's my privilege to just kind of try and tell it. So we begin then with Jesus entering Jericho. He's passing through and there's a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he has three great disadvantages. They are perceived as disadvantages. You may be surprised. The first is that he's the chief tax collector. Well, in that culture, that was really loaded. It was loaded with a whole lot of, of baggage. As many of you will know, as the chief tax collector, he actually was the agent of the occupying Roman force, a hated occupation army. That meant that he was a social outcast. He was Jewish, one of the nation, but he was a social outcast. The life he had chosen, or the, the life that had been dealt to him, if you like, meant that he was a pariah in the very place that he lived and had grown up in. Who knows what he'd been through before? What drew him to that? that role? Had he always been on the fringe? Had he always been despised? Had he had a tough time at school? No matter, we don't know, but we do know that he ends up making a choice that many self-respecting Jews would never have taken. They would rather have starved rather than do this. He took the position of a tax collector, a representative of the occupying force. This was anathema. And he was perceived not just as, can I call him a traitor to his own tribe, but more than that. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, and I'll try and read this, it's interesting. Luke gives us three stories in the preceding chapter which helps, as it were, set our face as to how we are to view Zacchaeus. So there's the story of a tax collector in the preceding chapter. And it's a little surprising because already the Holy Spirit through Luke is trying to recalibrate the way we perceive those people on the fringes of our society. Let's read this story. So it's Luke chapter 18. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus tells this parable. He says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other, other people. I should say that the Pharisees were the, the most respected, the most well-educated, the most privileged members of Jewish society. They were the religious leaders, if you like. So this man says his prayers, it says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you so much. Do you, do you see the comparison there? It would be better, he is almost saying, if I, you know, God forbid, if I was a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer, but thank God I'm not a tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So he's at prayer, and this is his prayer. But then it goes on, Jesus says. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus' commentary on this little picture he paints is this. He says, I tell you this, this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A part of our Another part of our picture about Zacchaeus is that as a tax collector, he knew what he was. He had made choices. And he saw himself as a sinner. He bought into the judgment of the society around him, rightly or wrongly. I mean, he undoubtedly was a sinner. We're all sinners. But the self-perception of the tax collector was God, you don't, you don't want to deal with me. You don't know what I'm like, or maybe you do, and it ain't pretty. God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. So this is the first little bit of background information, if you like. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, a pariah, an enemy, a traitor, and a sinner. But that's not all he's dealing with, bless it. The next thing, back to Luke 19, it says that he was wealthy. Some of you may be wealthy. You know what I'm going to say. But to be true to the text, Luke takes the opportunity in Luke 18 to talk about those that are wealthy, painting a picture so that we might better understand who Zacchaeus is. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 18. I think Jesse's going to throw it up on the screen behind me. And um, beginning at uh, verse 19, or is it 18? I can't see. 18. Thank you. So now we have another person. Comes to Jesus. This is not a parable. This is a real event. And he's a man of influence, a young man of influence and a position in the society. He's not a religious leader. But he comes to Jesus. Let's see how this pans out. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I like the forthrightness. You know, very often, wealthy people are very direct, you know. Very kind of, they don't mess around. Let's get to the knob. What do you need? What do you want? What can I do? You know, what are you going to give me? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him pauses, this is how I visualize it, almost to the point of embarrassment. And then he says to the young man, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and so on. All these, teacher, bless you, <laughs> 
thank you, thank you. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You can almost see this guy leaning forward, right? You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Poor old Zacchaeus. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So Zacchaeus is, yes, you know, all of the above, but he's wealthy. As some of you know, before I came into the ministry, for a brief period, I was wealthy. And I said to the, the, the leaders over the last couple of days, when I was just telling them a bit of our story, one of the things that that did was that it isolated my wife and, my, and myself. It isolated us from one another because we were so busy following our hobbies and our projects And life became, you know, just full of trying to sort of manage the kids and manage what we were doing. What, you mean you're going out at 7? I told you, I'm meeting the guys down the golf club. Oh, flipping heck, can't we get a babysitter? What? I forgot, you didn't tell me. And so on, rows like that. We had busy, full, we were independently wealthy and we were independent marrieds. We were married, but we were living independent lifestyles. And we would come together for holidays and this kind of thing. But it was, that was what was happening in our marriage. But worse than that, wealth isolated us from others. We followed the dream. I was in my 20s and didn't know better, and I wasn't wiser. So we ended up buying a beautiful limestone, 200-year-old house in what they call the Golden Triangle of North Yorkshire between Ilkley, Ripon, and Harrogate. We had a, a quarter of a mile drive, half a mile, a quarter of a mile drive down to our house, which was in a, a hidden valley. You couldn't see any other properties. It was just glorious. And our house stood in the middle of three-quarters of an acre. We had no mortgage, no debt, three cars. And by the age of 24, I had already achieved more than my father did in a lifetime of good, honest toil and trouble. But we had no friends. We had no real social life. Because people didn't know how to be with us, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that we were very nice either. Wealth, as of its the payoff which was happening, we were living the dream. People would come to our carefully manicured and managed dinner parties and they would walk around saying, oh, wow, Chris, this is absolutely fabulous. You know, and that, you know, they would make all sorts of nice comments. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, my. Oh, Deirdre, come look at this. Look at that. Isn't this fabulous? That was the nature of the relationship. You come and you come and admire me and you come and admire my stuff. And then you leave, and then we have an argument, and then we go to bed. It's not very pretty. Wealth isolates. Zacchaeus was, well, was, was isolated by his wealth. This young man was challenged by Jesus to be done with it, get rid of it. And then there's the third thing. Poor old Zacchaeus. Oh, boy. He's short. He's short. He's probably a bit fat. It's not working out very well for him, really, is it? You know? 
And then Luke tells another story in, in Luke 18, which gives a little insight on this. And let's just pick that up. Verse 25 in Luke 18, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who had led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The guy is all of a tremor and a, and a twitch. And the guy just simply says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw this, they also praised God. This guy was blind. He could not see. Zacchaeus was short. He could not see. But there was something in Zacchaeus, buried deep, had been suppressed for years, hidden away. There was a desire to see Jesus. And not just see him like a snap. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Luke 19 says he wanted to see who Jesus was. That's more than, I just wanted to catch a glimpse of him. <laughs> there was something about him, deep within him, a yearning, a longing. You know, don't you know that Jesus is the sum of all your longings? You know, I've got some exciting things this summer. I'm looking forward to traveling down to Le Mans in my classic car, with my son and going to the 24-hour classic Le Mans thing. I've got some exciting things, and you have too. Things that you can look forward to. But you know what? At the end of the day, all these longings, all these appetites, all these adventures, all these things that we plan for, actually, if God grants you them, if you're able to actualize them, it will always leave you wanting more. Jesus is the sum of all of our longings. All of our appetites. So, Zacchaeus then. Zacchaeus had problems. You know what? He didn't need to be told. And you don't need to be told. You know what you are. Zacchaeus knew shame. And shame is something that increasingly, as I've matured as a Christian, I've realized is just such an insidious thing. It's so disabling. Shame is when you know you don't make the grade, hit the mark, and there's a sense of profound pain and injustice because there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe you were bullied at school, you know? Very good example. You're just trying to do your thing at school. You, you don't want to fall out with anyone. You don't want to muck about. You, you, you don't want to beat in the pulp out of anyone, although you may end up wanting to, but, but for no reason, for a completely random reason, suddenly that big spotty kid comes and beats seven bells out of you. And what's more, he does it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And next week, it's the same. It's that sense of, that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. Now, that's a good example, because we can probably identify that. Hopefully, please God, it wasn't a personal experience of yours. But, but it's that sense of, there's nothing I can do to be different. This isn't a self-help program issue. And yet, I am lost. I am abandoned. I am not good enough. And Zacchaeus, for all his braggadociousness and his, 
he probably was not the nicest of people. Time had warped him and what have you. He knew a deep and a profound shame. He knew what he was. He was a sinner. And therefore, he could not approach God. He could not be like the other people. He could not use his influence to get a grandstand seat when, when Jesus walked by. There was a deep and a profound shame on that man. And he could not see. And he was wealthy. All he needed was to be struck by lightning and he'd have the whole set. So what does he do? He does something that I suspect even for him was a little bit uncharacteristic. He went through the back alleys. He was a clever man. He worked out pretty much the route that Jesus would be taking. He scurried through the back alleys until he came out on the main street and there was a big sycamore tree. And that was the thing he was heading for. Sycamore trees are broad-leaf trees, as you know. And if you can shin up that, you can position yourself so you can see, but not be seen. It hides your shame. And God forbid that anybody in the village or the town saw it, because he would never live that one down. So he hid away, up in the sycamore tree, because he wanted to see who Jesus was. One little comment to throw out here. He wanted to see Jesus on his terms. He wanted to see Jesus in a place where he felt safe. He wanted to see God, because that's who Jesus is. But you know what? He saw God through life circumstances. Let me unpack that for a moment. Honestly, many people want to see God. Many people would like to see God do something. Many people would like to see a miracle or a healing or something like that. If you met a guy in a pub or a bar or the, the rugby club you know, bar and said to them, do you want to see God? It doesn't matter if they were the most loud-mouthed, carrying-on, carousing fellow. They'd say, what? Yeah, okay, show me God. There's a curiosity there. Do you know what? That's built into our genetic code, Romans 1. We know there's a God. But the trouble is, we view God all too often through life circumstances. So we, you know, life's going, life sucks or life is difficult, or life is problematic, or my mother abandoned me, or my father abandoned me, or I was abused, or I was bullied, or, or you know, none of that happened. I've had a, quite a nice life, but you know what? You know, I'm bored to tears, and I'm married, and I've got two kids who are driving me insane. You know, fill in the scripture, however you like. And all of that tends to give us a lens by which to view God. Oh, God, God is the God who abandons. <laughs> Where was God when I needed him? Oh, God is, God is the God who, who judges. Yeah, because, you mean, my life sucks, you know. I, don't des I deserve more than this. And so it goes on. If we think about God at all, we tend to think about him through the lens of our life and its circumstances. In this situation, Zacchaeus, well, there, was a, <laughs> there was a necessity. If he was going to see Jesus, he had to shin up a tree, he had to get to a high place. But I just want you to hold that thought for a moment. Just put it away to one side, we'll come back to that. And then it happens. There's a murmur in the street, above the normal kind of murmur of a town at that time of day. And the murmur grows to a hubbub. Uh, and Zacchaeus kind of gets himself comfortable and he can peer through a few leaves. And you can just, he's got a pretty good view of the street. And yeah, you can hear the crowd now and they're coming and it's, they're coming down the street now. They're coming and they're, they're, they're the sort of, the, one, the front runners are, are coming through and, and then suddenly there's Jesus and he's never seen, but he's, he knows it's Jesus. And then Jesus stops and he thinks, whoa, really good view. Where's your iPhone when you need it, you know? 
And Jesus stops. We'll read the text. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Whoa! Cover's blown big time. You see, Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. Jesus knew where Jesus was. Uh, sorry. Jesus knew where Zacchaeus was. And Jesus knew what Zacchaeus was. And yet he stops and he says, come down now, today. Come down immediately. Because I'm going to come home with you. Now this isn't rocket science. This isn't a complicated message. Here we are in Hertfordshire, 21st century. I am here as a preacher of the gospel to say to you, whatever your life experience tells you, whatever lens you're wearing, however you view God, whatever has happened to you, however far away you feel, or indeed are, God our Father, through Christ our Saviour, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows who you are, where you are, what you are, and he says, I want to come home with you today. Does Zacchaeus deserve it? No way. Do you deserve it? No way. Do I deserve it? No way. But this is our God. And did Jesus get criticized for it? Yes, he did. Because there were always those who thought he knew, they knew better. The Pharisee, remember him? It says here, all the people saw this and began to mutter. Don't you just hate that? When people are talking about you behind your back. And they began to mutter and they saw this and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But you know, Jesus, he understood that what the Father had commissioned him to do, and it says it right at the end of this Luke 19 passage we've read, it says here that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. That may be you. Now, there's a wonderful little thing here because we actually get to see how Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector, the sinner, the wealthy isolate, the short guy, the fat guy, responded. A response is needed when it comes to the love of God. That's why I said to you right at the beginning, I'm going to ask you to respond today. I'm going to ask you to come down the front. For some of you, that's going to be a challenge. You know what the challenge is? You're in the middle of a row. And that means you're going to have to stand up and you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to, say to have to say to somebody, can I just squeeze by because I need to come down the front. Boy, don't let that stop what God wants to do today. Come on. Man up, guys. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' Position and his position was knowing him, knowing where he was, what he was, and couldn't care less. Well, he could care, but that was going to be sorted anyway on the cross at Calvary. And what do I mean by that? You may not know. You see, Jesus was on a mission. This was a moment, this was a day in the mission. But the mission of cry of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. And you know how he did that? Maybe you've always wondered why Christians wear this torture instrument around their neck. What he did when he died on the cross, 
And that's what we believe happened. Was he bore the sins of the world. My sin. And in dying on the cross, he dealt with that. It was like, I know you love rugby, so you'll... It's like you go to the bar, you order a round of drinks for your friends, and suddenly somebody pushes through and says, I'll pay for that. That's a nice feeling, isn't it? Happens very rarely in my experience. (laughs) It's a silly illustration, but the illustration is simply this, that when you come to face God, being the isolate, distant sinner that we all are, when you tremble before Him, fearful of what is about to be dumped on you, when you are told what you already know what you are, when you are judged to have fallen short and you feel that weight of that shame, and when the pronouncement is that you will be cast away from Christ forever into an eternal hell, as you quiver at that moment, Jesus steps in and says, excuse me, I'm paying for this one. Father, he's one of mine. And that's the way the Father loves it. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. He took our death, he took our sin, and he rose again on the third day. So now he can offer us and embrace us and carry us with him into eternal life. This was a new beginning for Zacchaeus, make no bones about it. And we know that because what did he say? Zacchaeus in verse 8 says this, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. All that stuff it accumulated. I don't know about you, but I, I go to the Smallford car boot sale every few weeks. I quite enjoy that. And I've sold stuff there. We accumulate stuff, don't we? Do you, do you not accumulate stuff? I accumulate stuff. I'm trying not to, but we do. Zacchaeus, being a wealthy man and had no comfort in his life except that which could be bought, women, wine, houses and things, after a lifetime of accumulation, conspicuous consumption, trying to self-medicate that longing deep within him that only Christ could fill, he says, I'm going to give half of it all away. Half of it all away. And what's more, he then says, and you know, and you know what? You know what? If anyone has a beef with me, If you feel you've been wrong by me, if I've diddled you or whatever, and I know what people mutter about me, tip up, I will give, I will reinstate, I will, I will do it four times over. Now, folks, if that ain't conversion, It'll certainly do until conversion comes along, right? And so Zacchaeus, when he realizes that God knows him by name, knows who he is, knows where he is, knows what he is, and basically says, I'm going to come and dwell with you. I'm going to come and be with you now, today. This moment. It melts his heart. Suddenly he knows that there is a God in heaven who's come to rescue him. So Zacchaeus responded. And so my question at the beginning of today was, of the talk rather, was this. There was a sense of immediacy. Zacchaeus, come down now. Come down immediately. I'm passing through. Who knows when I will come this way again. I'm here now. Come down now. 
because I want to go home with you. And that's God's question to me and God's question to you. I'm going to invite Clive and the team to come up now. I'm going to pray and we'll worship and then I'm going to step up again. And I've done this a zillion times, so believe me, I can stand the embarrassment if no one comes forward. But when I come up here, I'm going to ask those of you who feel they'd like to respond to this message of the Holy Spirit today to allow Him to come to you, to cleanse you of your sin, your stuff, your shame, your arrogance, your brokenness, and to come and dwell with you. Well, then, after Clive and we've worshipped, we'll just say a simple prayer, and then we'll go on. Okay? Why don't we all just stand and pray now? Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you for this astounding good news. Who could have believed it? That you, Father, would conceive of this divine rescue plan. That you yourself would bear our sin. That you yourself, Lord God, you yourself would, would welcome us home. And so, Lord, I just want to say thank you. And as we worship and as we begin to draw this time together... If there are any of us here that need to take hold of this invitation today, give us the courage, Lord, to say to our neighbor, excuse me, I want to go down the front so that we may, Lord, just welcome you in as you welcome us. In Jesus' name, amen.